0: Hello, everybody. Trying to keep us all occupied in these rather difficult times, I thought I'd start a series of podcasts talking about some of the things that fascinate me most. Uh, There are a lot of those, I have to be honest, but the subject that I've chosen to begin with are the street names of my native city, the city of Birmingham, lying right in the heart of England about 110 miles, just sort of 200 kilometres northwest of London. It is a big and endlessly fascinating city. And as you might imagine, it has rather a lot of roads. But how did some of those roads get their names? Well, I thought I'd run through them from A to Z in little bite-sized manageable chunks. So on this first podcast, I'm just going to do A, B and C. And appropriately, the first of the roads that I'm looking at has the name, a very curious name as well, AB Row, just the letters A and B and then Row. Uh, it's a very short road. It's not quite in the city centre. It's just out behind Millennium Points off Jennings Road, for those of you that know the city. Um, it's somewhere that's undergoing a lot of rejuvenation at the moment. with. Extensions of um, university buildings and so on. But it's a very strange name, AB Row. And how did that come about? Well, it came about from the fact that although it's not very far out of the city centre, it was until 1911 the city boundary. Beyond there was the separate borough of Aston Manor. And it gets its name, AB Row, from having been the boundary between A and B, Aston and Birmingham. Um, the Greater Birmingham Act of 1911 saw Birmingham swallow quite a number of its neighbours. Uh, Aston Manor was one. There were the urban districts of Hansworth and Erdington and one called Kingsmorton and Northfield. And to the south and east of uh, Birmingham, the city also absorbed the rural district of Yardley. So at a stroke, unlike most other British towns and cities, it gained lots and lots of land for building. And it set about using that very, very quickly. Pretty much as soon as the First World War was over, Birmingham began to construct these enormous rural, municipal and private housing estates to rehouse people from the inner city slums, some of which were around the area of AB Row. And today, the fact that Birmingham was ever made up of these separate districts is largely forgotten. The municipalisation of services made Birmingham look very, very similar from one end to the other. The same lampposts, the same style of houses, the same design of schools, the same municipal trams and later buses. It made it look like one single city. Um, There have been a few extensions since. Uh, Most of uh, a now vanished urban district called Perry Bar was added to Birmingham in 1928. In 1931, areas of Sheldon and Minworth over on the east side were added. And last but by no means least, in 1974, some cold fields to the north of Birmingham, another Warwickshire authority was annexed to the city. And some Suttonians have never, I have to say, quite come to terms with that. Uh, My own hometown of Smethwick uh, almost in the 1890s became part of Birmingham, long before this Greater Birmingham Act, but uh, it was defeated uh, on the casting vote of the chairman of the local board, and Birmingham never quite managed to swallow up Smethwick, which to this day is closer to central Birmingham than many of Birmingham's own suburbs. That's just one of those accidents of history that happen from time to time. A.B. Rowe. B B stands for Bullring, and it's probably the most famous of all street names in the city. I don't think I'd really do a talk without including the Bullring. And yet ironically, of all the names of streets that I'll talk about, this one is probably the one that is most shrouded in mystery. Um, we can guess about its origin, and there are a number of theories, but we can never know for sure. I suppose today. When people think of Bullring, they think of the shopping centre. They either think of the early 21st century modern shopping mall with its curious Selfridges building and the, the eating places, the, the triangular area in front of St. Martin's. Uh, some people will think of the 1960s concrete confection opened in 1964 and demolished building of the present one. And some people, if they're old enough, might remember the Bullring literally as a street, an old cobbled street going down the hill, which was immortalized in a by Markham Stent called Saturday Night at the Bullring. The name's certainly very ancient, and it's always been applied to Birmingham's marketplace. Until the 1960s, that was a very clearly defined area. It was a proper medieval triangular marketplace that you can still see today in towns like Stratford-on-Avon or even Weddensbury and Hales-Owen if you know where to look as well, though theirs is rather more hidden. The name might have derived from the practice of selling cattle there and simply leading bulls around the edge of a, a ring, so to speak, so that prospective buyers might inspect them more closely. On the other hand, it might refer to the sport of bull baiting. That one gets mentioned a lot. Uh, this was carried out, they say, in the middle of a ring as a sort of spectator sport. Uh, the baiting of bulls, we do know in the Middle Ages, was encouraged as it was believed to tenderize the meat. Um, and the third and probably the most controversial theory is that the bull ring in Birmingham had an actual ring made of metal and set into the centre of the marketplace to which bulls were tethered uh, there is actually an old engraving i've seen which shows a ring just like that but it's the artist may just have included that for effect we'll never know and people are often surprised to learn that birmingham is not unique in the midlands in having a marketplace or a square called the bull ring uh, there are others in kidderminster and ludlow and sedgley uh, much wenlock up in shropshire and Darlaston in the heart of the country has a bull stake, but I think our bull ring is probably the most famous, and I suspect always will be the bull ring. So, C is for Corporation Street, it's one of the busiest and most important city centre thoroughfares. Now, if you look at an old street plan of Birmingham, even in the 17th century, you'll find a recognisable street plan. The, the present-day New Street, Colmore Row, High Street, Bull Street—they're all there, uh, probably with different names, but the roads are there. But one major thoroughfare is noticeably absent. Where, before the 1880s, was the main north-south Corporation Street? Well, as with so much of our city's past, we find that this story takes us to a man called Joseph Chamberlain, uh, a London-born but Birmingham-loving politician who made his mark on the town in a big way in the 19th century. Uh, Chamberlain had been born into a well-to-do Unitarian family in London. He actually grew up in an area of northeast London called Highbury, which a lot of people will associate with the former ground of the Arsenal. He came to Birmingham to work as a partner in his uncle's screw-making firm, which became Nettlefold and Chamberlain. He made an absolute fortune doing that, and he eventually retired from business relatively young, went into politics. He became a firm advocate of improving conditions for ordinary people. And in the late 19th century, Birmingham had A, a lot of, Ordinary people and B, a lot of conditions that needed improving. And to that end, he set in operation a system for removing the worst of the slums while improving some of the others. Uh, he believed it was necessary to use authorities given by central government, an act of parliament, the Artisans Dwellings Act uh, allowed them to acquire property for improvements. He also thought it was wrong for things like gas and water to be run for. Private profit. He believed they should be run for the public good. Uh, the gas and later water undertakings were the result of that. But it was probably in removing the slums that he made the biggest impact on the cityscape. Because the area around what was then Litchfield Street, now by today's standards, it would be hard to find that, but it's the area around where the present-day Victoria law courts are between the old central fire station and the old square. That had some of the very worst slums. And he came up with the idea of sweeping all of these away and replacing them with a new boulevard, the style of a Parisian boulevard, he thought, running from New Street Station right up to the edge of Aston, nearly two miles in total. It was one of the biggest projects that the corporation, the council had ever come up with by that point. And although there were a number of suggestions for different names, including naming it after Chamberlain himself, in the end, because it was a municipal project. He chose or the city chose the name Corporation Street, which has proved to be very, very enduring. Um, he was actually much derided at the time. One ends begun, but who shall see the other end of mystery? It will be a Herculean feat to make it so that both ends meet, said one wag at the time. But Chamberlain did live to see his brainchild come into existence. They began it in 1878, it took until 1903 to be completed but chamberlain did see it and furthermore he arranged for it to be lined with some of the most elegant buildings in the city uh, some of which not all but some of which survive the methodist central hall which is still there but now empty and forlorn although there are periodic plans to turn it into an hotel the victoria law courts which are still very much there And a branch of Lewis's department store that originated in Liverpool in the northwest of England. In fact, David Lewis was invited to Birmingham by Chamberlain to set up business there on this new road. And although he was, David Lewis, initially very, very dubious about it, he said to have studied the pedestrian flow. And worked out that the corner of Corporation Street and Bull Street had the heaviest pedestrian flow. And it is there that he opened, first of all, a tea room and then the new Lewis's store. The original building of which was designed by a chap called H. Yeovil Thomason, who also went to design Birmingham's council house. Lewis's building opened in 1885 and cost the then staggering sum of £30,000. And there are a whole generation of Brummies, me included, that remember going to Lewis's to see Father Christmas. Some of you listening to this in other parts of the world, uh, and even in Britain now, might think in, in terms of Santa Claus, but proper Brummy children always went to see Father Christmas and they queued for what felt like hours all the way up a staircase inside Lewis's. But you did eventually get to see Father Christmas and Uncle Holly, and you came away with a present. And wherever else you were in the world, it was just some old bloke dressed up. Okay, today we realize that the one true Father Christmas was in Lewis's in Birmingham. Um, Lewis is no longer present in Birmingham. Uh, The building is now converted partly into a shopping arcade called the Minories, It's where, when the site was occupied in the Middle Ages by the Priory of St Thomas, the minor clergy entered the site. Uh, Part of it is now offices of the court system and the high court, and at ground level, What I think was the first Weatherspoon's pub in Birmingham um, is in there. It's called the Square Peg because it said that trying to fit a pub into the existing building there, I I learned only in recent times, um, was said to be like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. So that is Corporation Street. So those are the first three street names. We'll see how much of the alphabet we can get through with these. But I hope whether you know Birmingham well or whether you have never been anywhere near the city, that provides you with some interests and occupies a quarter of of your time. Look out for the next of these podcasts that I'll do, perhaps with rather better technical quality. I'm waiting for a bit more technical equipment to arrive. But to all of you, wherever you are in the world, hello from the English West Midlands. God bless and take care.